This is episode number 89 with Coot Blackson. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Coot Blackson is the author of the national best-selling book, You Are the One, and is widely considered the next generation leader in the field of personal development by Larry King, Jack Camfield, Marianne Williamson, John Gray, and many more teachers. He is a charismatic visionary and transformational teacher. He offers a fresh, bold look at spiritual awareness for a whole new generation. Coloured with experiences from his own incredible journey, Coot will show individuals how to unlock their true potential and live a life of love through love. Now, he was born in Ghana, West Africa, and his multicultural upbringing as a child of a Japanese mother and a Ghanaian father has spanned four different continents. His unique lineage lay the foundation for his approach to breaking down barriers and unlocking an individual's true gifts and greatness. And for over 20 years, he has been inspiring audiences around the world. His electrifying presentations not only offer real-world practical ideas and soul-stirring wisdom, but also ignite the heart and inspire courageous action. Now, Coot's trademark transformational experiences set him apart, including his radical one-on-one liberation experience in India and his boundless bliss. This is in Bali, and this is the breakthrough experience group journey that he does. He is widely sought after by billionaires, celebrities, pop stars, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and leaders of other industries. And during his intense journeys, he strips his clients emotionally bare and dares them to face their deepest fears so they can emerge reborn. His mission is simple, to inspire people across the world to access inner freedom, live authentically, and fulfill their true life's purpose. And in this episode, we chat about his inspiring story from being a speaker on the stage from age eight, yes, you heard me right, age eight, to being ordained at age 14 and his journey to where he is today, inspiring millions all over the world. We also talk about the biggest thing blocking you from living your dream life, how to unlock your full potential, why he didn't speak to his father for two years why no one owes you anything, why taking radical responsibility for yourself and forgiving are the two keys to your freedom, why lying to yourself is keeping you stuck, how to stop lying to yourself, why you want to quit being busy and start creating space in your life, how to create space in your life, 
His simple yet powerful non-negotiable morning routine, the unpredictable thing that he attributes his success to, the biggest thing he is working on within himself, plus so much more. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that is at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 89. And before we dive into today's episode, I want to read the review of the week. And this comes from Julianne Webb. And she says, my favorite podcast and all round inspiration and so informative. I really enjoy Melissa's podcast. She interviews such interesting, engaging people that I'm always learning something new and gaining insight into new ideas and areas that I might want to go and explore further. On top of that, I learn just from listening to Melissa herself. She comes across with so much positivity and passion for life that is just inspiring you to go out there and create your own gratitude-filled life. She also gets challenged by her guests. Yes, I do. And I'm always impressed with how she handles these situations and models self-ownership and open-mindedness. Couldn't recommend this podcast more. Thank you, Melissa. Well, thank you, Julianne, for that beautiful five-star review. I'm very grateful. Thank you so much for your kind words. And don't forget to leave me a review for your chance to be the review of the week next week. And now let's dive into today's beautiful conversation. Guys, you are going to be so inspired. He is amazing. I am so excited for you. Get out your pen and paper because you're going to be wanting to take notes. Let's bring on the super inspiring Coot Blackson. Coot, welcome to the show. I am so excited for this conversation with you. But before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? I had uh, three eggs, three eggs and some blueberries. Mm, I love blueberries. They're so good. Now, I am so pumped to have you on the show and to dive deeper into your journey and your teachings but you haven't always been where you are today. So can you take us back and tell us the story of how you got to where you are today and doing the work that you're now doing? I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's from Japan. I grew up in London. I currently live in the US, so I feel like a citizen of the world. People often ask me, where are you from and how do you get started? And, you know, honestly, sometimes I don't know. It just depends how I feel given the day, given the day I might wake up. And so from a very young age, I always felt a profound calling. I remember being age five and I felt this burning, unexplainable desire to impact people's lives. I remember being age five, six as a you know chubby little kid in, in London. And I just wanted to, to, to help people. I felt I was so sensitive and I remember feeling people suffering. And I, there was a part of me that just wanted to alleviate people's suffering. I didn't quite know what that was going to look like. But I remember being around six and seven in that zone. Literally, I was a chubby kid lost in the crowd at this moment. Also, going back to Ghana, in Ghana, West Africa, where I was born. 
I'll never forget one day when I saw this crippled woman crawling on the floor and she picks up the sand that this man walks on, wipes it on her face and stands up. And you could call that a miracle. You know, I mean, I I saw this with my own eyes. It wasn't something I saw on television. And so week after week, I grew up seeing the same man whose sand she picked up, literally look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, stand up. Why are you in this wheelchair? You're not sick. Stand up. Do you believe? And this woman would say, well, I'm sick. I haven't walked in years. And he would say, stand up. And boom. This person would stand up week after week. I grew up seeing miracles, blind people seeing, deaf people hearing, people standing up at wheelchairs, people being cured of cancer and all sorts of incurable diseases. This man was my father, and my father built about 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, a huge church in London. He was considered considered like a miracle man and a really <clears throat> incredible figure. And so I grew up in this, you could say strange, different environment. But for me as a young boy, it was it was very normal. And so, you know, from a very young age, I, I literally started to speak in my father's churches when I was age eight, thrown in the audience one Sunday. And I, I'll never forget being an eight-year-old kid. I just wanted to play soccer, you know, and soccer in the lobby of my father's church. And I was grabbed, put on the front row. And one Sunday, my father said, son, you're giving the sermon. And I was thrown on stage. And that's, you could say, when my speaking career began, had no idea what I was going to say, but words just started flying out of my mouth. And around age 14, I was ordained as a minister. I was given a mandate to take over my father's ministry. But I remember being around age eight. That's when I read my first self-help book, a book by a woman called Shekhti Gawain. It was called The Creative Visualization. This book really shifted my paradigm, shifted my perception, really opened uh, my consciousness to a new way of thinking. Like, wow, you mean my energy and my thoughts can affect my reality? And so for an eight-year-old, it was just, it was like a, a wild epiphany occurred for me, a huge uh, shift in my consciousness. And so from around age eight, I became obsessed with trying to understand the human condition, the human nature. I remember eight, nine, 10, 11, started reading books, everyone from the Deepak Chopras of the world, the Wayne Dyers, the Louis Hayes. I mean, these folks were my heroes as a young boy, to the Eastern mystics, the Krishnamurtis, the Maharishi Mahesh Yogis, uh, the Western philosophers, the Blavatskys and the Gurdjieffs. And, and so trying to understand who am I and why am I here and what's the purpose of life and why do some people who seem to have you know, every reason to be happy, why are they miserable? And why are some people who seem to have every reason to be miserable seem to be fulfilled and happy? And so this became my quest from a very young boy. And it was my obsession. I mean, I was the kid. I would literally go to school, finish my studies, come home from school, finish my homework, and then read for three, four, five hours at night, personal growth books and meditate. And so I started having some interesting and intense spiritual experiences at a very young age. And so when it was announced to my father's congregation, in front of must have been about 5,000 people. My son is taking over uh, the, my churches. I thought to myself, I am? I, I mean, I, it was no conversation about it. And, you know, in that moment, I knew as much as I wanted to help people, I knew that that wasn't my path. You know, when you have this feeling of truth, when you have this deep sense, like something isn't quite right. I had this knowing, I had this sense, but the truth is I was too afraid to uh, confront my father. I was too afraid to tell him the truth. I was too afraid to speak my mind. I knew the truth in my heart, uh, but I was too afraid to, to be honest with him because my deep fear was if I'm honest, if I'm truthful, if I speak my mind, if I am who I really am, then I'm going to lose his love. I'm going to be alone. I'm going to, I, I don't want to, you could say, make waves. I'm going to be outcast. I'm going to be, the community is going to reject me. And so I, I just stayed silent and it was deeply painful because because I knew that something wasn't aligned. And I think so many of us, you know, we 
We feel a deeper sense of truth inside of ourselves. We feel a deeper knowing inside. Uh, maybe we're in a wrong relationship. Maybe we're working a job that we know is totally compromising our integrity or is not our true calling in this lifetime. But we do it just for the money. We do it to survive. We do it to make people around us happy. And for me, I just wanted to make my father happy. I just wanted to make everyone happy. And I, you know, growing up as a preacher's kid, I was like a people pleaser. And so uh, for about four years, I suppressed the truth. I felt a tremendous amount of, you could say, sadness, sometimes depression. Because I think when you suppress your knowing, when you suppress your deep truth uh, and don't acknowledge it, it creates an internal misalignment, an inner conflict, and that often manifests as, as unhappiness, as depression. And so it took me about four years, honestly, to muster up the courage to finally confront my father when I turned 18. You know, I'd read like 800 books in the field of personal development and psychology and spirituality and self-help. I wanted to go into this field. I felt such a deep calling. And so I decided, you know, Melissa, that I wasn't going to go to university. I figured if I want to help people with their lives, I have to live life and that life has more to teach me than going to university. So uh, I was the only kid in my, co- in my uh, high school to decide not to go to, you know, higher education, college, university, and uh, literally decided to come to the U.S. And I felt this calling because all of the teachers and the authors, the, the Wayne Dyers, the Mark Victor Hansons, the Jack Canfields, the Tony Robbins, the Chopras, the Louise Haight, they all lived in either San Diego or Los Angeles or San Francisco. So I wanted to come to the U.S. and find teachers and mentors and go into this field. And so I looked into my future as a 17, 18-year-old kid, and I looked and I saw that I could follow the expected path because I think life is a series of choices. Every choice chisels and sculpts our destiny in the future. And I looked into my future and I literally saw that I could choose the expected path that was, that everyone had imposed on me. My father had my life mapped out for me, even though I knew it wasn't my life. And I realized I could be successful by everyone else's standards. But if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my truth, if I didn't have me, then I have nothing. You know, I have nothing. And then I looked into, I looked at the path that I was, I was guided to take the path of my soul, which was literally coming to the US, going into this field, trying to learn and study, which was a complete unknown path, terrifying, scary, but I knew it was right. I think there's moments in our lives where even though we don't know the path ahead, we feel a calling, we feel a knowing, we feel a sense. And I'm just, you know, I hope anyone listening today, if you feel a dream, if you feel a calling, if you feel something inside of you nudging you, that is that is the divine, that is life. I believe that your dream has chosen you for a reason because you are the perfect person that is capable based on your life, based on your trauma, based on your failures, based on your pain, based on your personality, based on everything you've been through, you're the perfect person to to fulfill that dream and that vision. And so uh, I felt like I was chosen. And so uh, I decided to to say yes to my calling, had no idea what I was going to do. And I really believe, uh, and I basically, when I was 18, I, I had a conversation with my father. I sat him down and looked him in the eyes, the most terrifying conversation of my life, because that was the day I became a man. I thought if I share my truth with my father, guaranteed, it's the end of our relationship forever. And so finally, I mustered up the courage to to have the conversation with him. And I looked him in the eyes and said, Dad, I'm not taking over your churches. I'm not taking over your churches. And he simply said, are you sure? I said, yes. He said, are you really sure? I said, yes. And and uh, scariest moment of my life, you know, I, I in that moment, I realized I had to let 
everything go. I had to be willing to disappoint people. And what I found, what I really got clear at a very young age was, you know, there is no way to truly live an authentic life, living someone else's life. There's no way to truly be happy and fulfilled being someone that you're not. And I think so many of us, then there's no shortage of people that will tell you who you should be and what you can be. And, and I think so many of us fall into the trap of, of living someone else's life. So I would ask anyone listening in today also, it's like, whose life are you living? I was living my father's vision for my life and I was not happy. And I looked into my future, 18, 28, 38, 48, 58. And as I looked into my future, living everyone else's life, it was, I, I, I felt such, I felt such pain. It was like a, it was like I was committing suicide. And so when I made this bold decision to go into the unknown, follow my soul, I really believe that encoded in your soul is also the seed for its fulfillment. Not only has your dream chosen you, but if you if you feel a dream, I felt this dream to come to the US and go into this field and write books. If you feel a dream, if you feel a vision, not only has it chosen you, but encoded in that dream and vision is the seed for its fulfillment. And I think so many times we get caught up in questioning and the how, and uh, the most important thing we can do is say yes. And if that dream has chosen you, this is what I figured at that moment, if that dream has chosen me, then surely the dream, the vision that I have isn't really mine. It belongs to life. And so what I chose to do at a young age was simply kind of naively and innocently. I just crazily just said, okay, universe, I'm open, I'm available, guide me. And, uh, you know, I really feel when we follow our souls and we live in alignment, magic happens. Life, I believe, is actually, you know, we're often sitting around waiting for signs from life and life is actually waiting for us to bring ourselves into alignment, to bring ourselves into the flow. And so uh, when I made that decision, Melissa, uh, something magical happened. One day I was praying to God and I said, universe, you've given me this vision, you've given me this dream. I am totally alone. And maybe folks listening in, maybe you have a dream, but you feel alone. Maybe no one else understands. And I felt like no one understands my vision. And what I also realized was, well, if everyone else understood my vision, then the vision would belong to everyone else. And, not, and there's a reason why everyone else doesn't understand my vision because it's not their vision, it's my vision. And so when I fully surrendered to that, I said, I remember saying this prayer to the universe and it went something like, universe, you've given me this dream and vision, but I feel so alone. I have no support from my family except my mother, no support from my community. I have no money. I have no future prospects. I'm just following this dream. Guide me. I surrender. I'll never forget literally the next day I was in a library. Someone hands me a magazine called The Economist. And uh, I figured there must be a reason. You know, I, to me, it was a clue. And I opened the back of this magazine, and it said the American government's giving away 55,000 green cards in the green card lottery. I thought, oh, my God, this is like – I felt chills, literally. I felt the universe was speaking to me. And as crazy as it was, I had this strange sense that I was going to win. Basically, the American government gives away 55,000 green cards, at least at that time. Millions of people apply, you know, hundreds of thousands of people win it, and, and maybe a few thousand end up actually getting this green card. And so I, I was guided. I was told to enter it. And uh, cut long story short, I entered this green card lottery, and I ended up winning a green card, came to the U.S., two suitcases, knew no one in the country, and uh, $1,000 in my pocket, and just showed up following a dream. 
you know, and came to the US and found teachers and mentors and authors and many folks who I'm sure you've interviewed, many, many folks that I'm sure many of you are listening in that you've heard and read about some of the most successful, you know, best-selling authors to some obscure healers and teachers and just went on my own quest, Melissa, went on my own quest trying to find answers. And uh, it was really out of my own search that I created my own way of working with people. But what I really, what really made the difference for me on my path, especially in those beginning stages and even now was my willingness to not compromise my soul's knowing, my willingness to not compromise my truth. I think one of the things that keeps us stuck the most, people often ask me, what, what keeps us stuck? What, what keeps people blocked? You know, how can I, where can people start? I think one of the first places that we can start that actually keeps us stuck are all the ways that we lie to ourselves, all the ways that we bullshit ourselves, all the ways that we don't tell the truth to ourselves. Maybe we're in a job that we hate. Maybe we're in a relationship that we know is not right for us, but we're simply in this relationship because, you know, what will people say or just expectations of people or society or we're afraid to to hurt someone. And so and many times we're, we're afraid of the consequences. And I see so many of us, we play this game, this game that sounds something like, well, I, I'm not sure. You know, I, I don't know. I, I'm confused when deep down there is a part of us that knows everything because at that deepest level, we are connected to everything. And I think to truly yeah, become powerful, to truly become uh, the great ones that we are all destined to become, we must be willing to to tell the truth. So I always say happiness is quite simple. Not always easy, but it's simple. Feel the truth, own the truth, breathe the truth, acknowledge the truth, live the truth, happy life, end the story. And so, you know, there's a couple of questions I asked myself growing up. I continue to ask myself now that has really impacted my life. And that's number one, what are the lies that I'm telling myself? So I would ask, invite everyone listening in, like, what are the lies that you're telling yourself? What lies are you telling yourself currently right now? To me, the truth will set you free. It might first piss you off. Yes. And by telling the truth and owning the truth, you might lose people in your life. When I told the truth and I had the conversation with my father, we didn't speak for two years. But I realized if I was going to live a lie, I was going to have to live a lie for the rest of my life in order to get his and everyone else's love. And what I found was nothing is worth compromising my soul. Nothing and no one is worth your freedom. And so what lies are you telling yourself? You know, what, what are you pretending to not know? And the other question I would invite people to ask is like, what is it costing me? What is it costing me to tell the lies? What is it costing me? I think it costs us so much. And many times we feel the pain of the lie. We feel the pain of our incongruence. And because we're afraid of, uh-oh, what, what, what might that mean for our lives? We, we avoid, we busy ourselves, we eat it away, we social media it away. And I think it's so important that we allow ourselves to be still and listen to the voice inside and allow ourselves to be guided so that we can create a truly authentic life. And so that's really what has guided me, you know, Melissa, and, and it's brought me to the US, two suitcases, you know, one in the country. Um, and, you know, just to kind of wrap that story, I would say that years later, uh, I went through a process of forgiving my father. I came to the US, I was tremendously pissed off and angry at my father because I felt like, you know what, he didn't support me and I felt abandoned and I felt betrayed and we didn't speak for two years. And it was really hurtful. And I remember one day sitting in, a, in my tiny apartment and uh, just mad at him, feeling like a victim. And I just literally heard this. It was like a, an explosion inside. I heard this voice that said, no one owes you anything. 
God doesn't owe you anything. Your father doesn't owe you anything. He's given you life. God, the universe has given you everything you need. And so in that moment, I remember there was a shift that happened. I decided to take real, just full responsibility and went through a process of forgiving my father. And, you know, it's been, a, it's been a beautiful journey with him ever since. I mean, literally, once I forgave him, there was such freedom. And uh, we ended up reconnecting. And, you know, what's amazing is when living my truth, we've reconnected many years back, but on, from, from a place of real authenticity and love versus you know, pretense and conditioning. And so that's what brought me to the US. And then I started traveling the world, uh, went to places like um, Thailand, studied with monks, went to places like Israel, studied with rabbis, went to uh, Bali, went to uh, India. And, and, and it was really out of my own inner journey and breakdown and transformation and unconditioning within myself that I, you know, about 16 years ago, 15 years ago, created, started working with people one-on-one and people's lives started to radically transform and one led to two, two led to three, another person, before you knew it, people were coming from all over the world, 26 countries to work with me one-on-one and then, you know, having the privilege to serve them led to larger groups and events and retreats and seminars and a book. And so that's been, I mean, I could keep going, but (laughs) that's been a bit of my journey. Mm, Thank you so much for sharing. I was just totally captivated and hanging on to every word. So thank you so much. And as you were talking about the lies that we tell ourselves, the first lie that popped into my head that in the past I had told myself was in a relationship. I'm currently married and um, adore my husband. So this is not this relationship, but a previous relationship this was the first one that came to my head was I was in this relationship for many years and I lied to myself the entire time. And the reason I lied to myself was like you said, was because I was so afraid. I was so afraid and I was so scared. But that burden that I carried on my shoulders for years ate away not only at my soul, but at my health. So at that time in my life, my health was really deteriorating. I was in and out of hospital. And that is the manifestation of what lying to yourself actually does. So for someone listening and they having this realization now, and they're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm lying to myself about a relationship or I'm lying to myself about a job. What are some things that people can do to take action to move through that? Like, What are some strategies or tips to really help them move through that if they've had that realization that, holy crap, I'm lying to myself about this relationship or this job? Yeah, I think the first step is to tell yourself the truth and acknowledge that you're lying because many times we're in denial where we don't even know I'm lying and we just so, so, we're just so bullshitting ourselves because there's an investment we have in staying stuck. So I think step one, we have to have the radical, takes courage, the radical courage to say, you know what, I want truth more than I want what I have. I want truth more than I want this relationship. I want the truth and I want to live a life of truth. And we have to be willing to have the courage, the courage to acknowledge step one that, you know what? I am lying. And to, and then that's the first thing. And to begin telling ourselves, to begin listing to ourselves all of the lies that we have been spinning and telling and the stories that we've been telling ourselves, just call ourselves on it and confess it to ourselves and confess it to those around us in our circle that are close to us. So we have a witness. So that's 
That's one thing I'll say, the acknowledgement and the confession of the lie. The second thing is to actually feel. It's not even then just, oh, let me just take action. Because if you just take action without actually letting the lie digest, oftentimes you'll go back and circle around it. So to really ask yourself to, to be willing to feel what is the cost? What is what is this lie costing me? And to feel the pain, the pain of the lie, the impact because if you feel the impact of the lie likely the pain of this lie will will burn like a fire and if you allow the fire of this lie burn it will imprint itself in your consciousness that hopefully will make it much more difficult or impossible for you to just do it again and to not numb yourself from the impact of the lie many times we're like ah, it's no big deal yeah, it's okay. We rationalize and we, we, we disconnect from how painful it really is, which allows us to perpetuate the lie, either the lie we're living or perpetuate the lie again in the future. So to actually, I say, burn in the fire of the truth, burn in the fire of the lie. Let it burn you up in a good way from the inside to make it impossible for you to just to, to feel the impact of what it's costing you and let it, it touch your heart. Let it impact you and allow yourself to feel the feelings. There might be sadness. There might be tears. There might be grief. There might be anger to not run from that, to not numb that, but to feel it and let that uh, really digest. Then from that place, sometimes, you know, sometimes people, once they acknowledge the, 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 the truth and feel it, it's so scary. They're not willing to do anything about it yet. So I say, look, even if you're not willing to take action, just tell the truth and feel the impact. Okay. I hate my job. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm in a relationship that is loveless, that is not aligned. It's painful. My needs aren't met, but to feel, to actually then feel the pain, even if you don't take action, but acknowledge the truth. And the truth might be, I hate my job. It's not aligned. It's painful. It's killing me. But I'm not ready to do anything about it right now. So we don't bullshit ourselves with, well, I don't know. I'm, no, no. I know it's not aligned. And I'm not ready to do anything about it right now because I'm too scared. And to let that burn, to let ourselves feel that because what I have found, without judgment, without judging yourself like, well, I should or I shouldn't, if you're willing to just rest in that deeper level of truth, which might be I'm, I'm, I'm too afraid to take action right now, if you sit with that over time, it's only a matter of time. The truth will start to burn inside of you. And over time, you will be moved into action as you let yourself feel the truth. Because deep down, we know, we absolutely know what we need to do. We, ab we, we know. I mean, I, I mean, look, I, I think we've all been in relationships. Uh, for those listening in, I mean, how many times have you been in a relationship? a romantic relationship where you were in this relationship and you were like, I'm not sure what to do. Should I stay? Should I go? I'm not sure. Oh my God, I'm confused. Is this the one? Is this, are they not the one? What should I do? And we spin around and we create so much drama and so much energy. We talk to our friends and our girlfriends and our guy friends. We just go around and around. And the moment we broke up with the person, maybe the first thing you say to yourself or to your, you know, to your dear friend is, I, I knew that wasn't going, going to work. We know. We know. So I think it's also important that we create the spaces in our life that so that we can actually hear and listen and connect with our knowing. When we actually allow ourselves those spaces, and sometimes we're afraid to allow ourselves the stillness in life, and we busy our life with so much action. So I would say, stop, 
running around, stop the busy, the busy, the business of busyness and become still. Cultivate spaces and stillness in your life so you can listen to yourself without distraction. So much of our culture is distracting us. Media is distracting you. Media, it's like social media and 5,000 TV channels and radio stations and we're bombarded. We're constantly being distracted by the media so that because the moment we can be distracted, we get distracted from ourselves. We get disconnected from ourselves. As a result, we end up sort of like uh, misaligned or depressed and then we can be sold a bunch of stuff. The greatest lie that we are sold, you could say well, one of the greatest lies that we're constantly being sold that we, we often buy into individually and collectively is this lie of who you are is not enough. We're sold this lie constantly by the mean. Go to a magazine stand, you see an image of what beauty is, an image of what success is. Who you are is not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. But if you just, if you just, you know, wear these socks and wear this underwear, drink this beer, drive this car, wear this what, then you'll finally be enough. And that's the greatest lie that you aren't enough when the truth is at the core, who you are, who I am, who we are is whole, perfect and complete. So allow yourself to be still, listen, tune in. And, 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 and hear your truth. And even if you're not willing to take action, feel it. But if you're not, if you're not willing to take a huge action, go in the direction. Don't bullshit yourself, but at least take a small step. Even if it's a small step to start going in the direction. Because you take a small step, that small step leads to another step, the next step leads to another step, the next step leads to another step, and you end up living into your truth more and more and more. Oh, I love this so much. It is so good. It is really good. And I just want to encourage people to own it. Like you said, just own it. Even if you aren't willing to do something about it, that's okay. Just own it and say, yes, this isn't my truth, but I'm not willing to do anything about it. Like, don't beat around the bush. And I see it a lot. I see, I see people beating around the bush. And I'm like, it's written all over your face. Like I can see it black and white that this job or this relationship is not serving you. Everyone can see it. But, you know, just just be honest with yourself. So be honest. And I, I just love that technique. Okay, be honest. And then if you're not willing to do something about it, you don't have to. Just at least be honest about it. Radical honesty is absolute key. And I love as well what you said about creating space. Creating space every day, not just on Wednesdays and Fridays. Create space every day for complete stillness because that's when the downloads can happen. And that's when we can hear our soul and the message. And so, For me personally, I create a lot of space in my life. I don't fill my space. I used to. I used to fill my space so much, you know, with catch-ups and dinners and lunch dates and this and that. And that's because in the past I was running, I was hiding. I didn't want to sit with myself. But now there is so much spaciousness in my life and in my days and I choose to keep it that way. I choose not to fill every second of white space because I want there to be white space stillness and, and just spontaneity. And so for me personally, Um, I have a regular meditation practice and I practice 
twice a day. I meditate for 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the afternoon, but I'm meditating all day. You know, I'm moving through my day with as much presence and stillness and mindfulness as possible. So I would love to hear from you. What are some other ways? Do you have any other ways that you create space? Because I want people listening to be able to go, okay, cool. I'm going to do that. I'm going to just, whether it's just sit and breathe for two minutes first thing in the morning or whatever it is, like, do you have any other tips or tricks? The first thing I do when I wake up in the morning uh, is just connect with myself, connect with my body. I bless my body. The first, the first thing I, before you, I reach for the phone or anything like that. I just simply connect with my body and I just say, thank you. Just thank you. Thank you to my body, to the universe, to the divine, to life. And just the moment of connection sets up my day, you know? And for me, one thing that sounds simple, it's obvious, but the one thing I do in the morning is just, I, I exercise. I do something physical every morning that makes a huge, huge difference in terms of creating space. And I think, uh, you know, when you let everything else, when you let that life revolve around what's really important and you make yourself important, you, you put yourself first, so to speak, then I think it shifts your relationship with life where you're not just simply reacting to the moment. Then, you know, you, you allow yourself to get truly centered to your core. Then you're able to engage life in a whole different way. So for me, uh, non-negotiable is exercising every morning because that creates a, a, such an amazing space and a foundation in my being, in my body to allow me to embody, to get into my body, not just spinning in my mind, but I get embodied and it, it makes, makes a huge, makes a huge, huge difference. What is your morning routine? Can you share it with us? Yes, yeah, real, real simple. I mean, nothing crazy for me. It's the small things. It's doing the small things consistently every single day that compound over time. A lot of people think, oh, they do this crazy routine that's just so elaborate from the freaking Tibetan jungle and, and they can do it for like a month. But, you know, life is not a sprint. Life is a consist, is a marathon. Life is a process over time. And so for me, it's about the, the ability to consistently apply something. So I simply wake up breathe, go into gratitude. I believe that one of the most important prayers is simply thank you. Thank you, universe. Thank you for being alive. I mean, every single day we have the opportunity and, and I get, I just try to feel it in the morning. Every single day I have the opportunity to wake up and touch and taste and feel and see colors every single moment. If as, as I breathe, I mean, I, in the morning, I try to just really just feel my breath. Like literally you and I right now, are being lived and breathed by the same intelligence. You and I and all of us listening and 7 billion people and all the animals and species and the cockroach to the snail to the cat to the dog to the plants, every single element of humanity and the sun and the moon, we're being lived and breathed by the same intelligence that rises the sun and the moon, that same force of creation. So when I take that first breath in the morning, it's feeling like the breath of life. And so to really connect with the fact that there are trillions of cells, there are universes inside of me that are interconnected with all of existence and to feel, you know, what I try to do every morning is just to feel that interconnectedness with all of life and all of nature, because then I don't feel like just I'm this little guy on my own alone. No, I'm part of nature and part of life. And so I really just take a moment to feel that, to breathe. Then I go usually do some kind of physical workout for an hour, hour and 15 minutes, 
have my green juice, have my green powder, have some kind of, you know, then have a little breakfast, do a little meditation, boom, then I start my day. I mean, I work a lot, but, you know, I... I think the, if you are really, if you have a vision, if you have a dream and you want to give a lot to the world, you have to give a lot to yourself and you can only lead people at the level of which you can manage your own consciousness, manage your own self. And so I do my best to take care of myself and nourish myself throughout the day. And so set my morning off that way. It's non-negotiable for any, for anything and anyone. People often ask, well, exercise and meditate. For me, like exercise is literally non-negoti- non-negotiable. A lot of my friends say, well, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't happen. Key for me to really set yourself up to cultivate these healthy routines is, is to make it non-negotiable. Where, for, for example, I've made exercise, it's no longer a choice. When it's no longer a choice, then you don't really have to wake up and think about, am I going to do it this morning? Am I going to do it this afternoon? It's just, it's not even a choice. So when I'm teaching and I'm literally sleeping three hours a night, four hours a night, I wake up before my retreat starts, before my event starts, and I go for a run. I'll do something. If I'm traveling and I have to be at the airport at four at 5 a.m., I'll wake up at 2.30 and do something because it makes a huge, huge difference. And so make your com- important commitments non-negotiable. At first, you at first you make your habits, and then your habits end up making you and giving you so much back in return. But remember, folks, it's not the huge necessarily the huge things that you do once in a while that make the difference. But it's those little things that you do every single day that, in the moment of doing them, don't seem to have a big impact. In the moment of not doing them, don't seem to have a big impact. But consistently over time, will literally uh, set the foundation in your consciousness. Will 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 literally weave itself into your the fabric of your physiology and. The more you give to yourself, it's in those times where there's a storm or there's a crisis. It's the practices that you have done in private that will allow you while the crisis is going on to weather the storm. And so uh, it's, it's, it's those little things. You know, sometimes we underestimate the small things, but it's the small things that, uh, that make a huge difference. Yeah. And if you make it part of your life, like brushing your teeth, you also take out the decision fatigue. So deciding when you wake up in the morning, oh, am I going to exercise? Am I not going to exercise? If you just make it part of your day. So at 6.45, I exercise every day, whether it's I go for a walk or whether I go and do yoga or whatever it is. If you just make that part of your day and do it every single day, you take out the decision fatigue. That's why Steve Jobs wore the same outfit every day. So he didn't have to have decision fatigue. So I love that. And thank you so much for that potent reminder. I would love to hear now, what do you attribute your success to? There's lots of things I could honestly say, but if I'm going to be really, really honest, the deeper I go spiritually within myself, I would have to say that for me, my success has been and is in proportion to my level of surrender. And by surrender, I'm not talking about giving up. I'm not even talking about being passive. But the degree to which I have over time consistently been able to get myself, my small self, my little mind, my ego self out of the way, the degree to which I've been able to surrender myself to life and allow myself to trust the flow, to trust life and allow myself to be lived by life, the degree to which I do that, the freer I have become, the more you could say successful I have become. 
And so it's been, a, it's been really you know, amazing to see. I think many times that I, the old paradigm of success is, is sort of like you make your life happen and control. You're in control of everything and you, you make everything happen. The way I see life has been around for billions and billions, literally 13, 14, however many billions of years, not millions, billions of years, literally. The universe has been around a lot longer than you or I, where we've been around maybe 50, 40, 30, 20, 80, 100 years, 200 years max, maybe we'll live in the future, uh, maybe a thousand years max. And so life has been around a lot longer than us. And I think so often out of fear, out of our conditioning, out of our childhood programming, we learn to try and control and figure life out. And the truth is life is much bigger than you or I. Life is much bigger than our minds. And so for me, control is the master addiction. Control is suffering. Control is often... Yes, we might be able to create our life, but many times we end up creating our life based on our current level of consciousness. And our current level of consciousness is determined by our level of conditioning. You know, from the moment we're born, I'm just going on a little tangent here, but I'm just kind of guided to say this. From the moment we're born as children, Melissa, we're born free. As children, we're born in touch with our true nature. We're born in touch with the divinity, the essence of our being. We're born in touch with, you look at a child, you know, a child will jump on the table, sing, dance, scream, doesn't care if it's not Michael Jackson or Adele or it's just full of life, you know, and what the hell happens? You know, we meet our parents, we, you know, we're born into crazy environments and different challenging situations. Even the best of us, we face our challenges, maybe pain, abuse, neglect, our parents went around, something. We all face certain experiences. So two things happen. As children, we slowly start learning to, we slowly start learning all sorts of defense mechanisms to shut down parts of ourselves, to disconnect and shut down to avoid the pain of what's going on around us. Then we also slowly start learning a way of being to go out into the world. Then maybe your parents or someone in your family or your dad or your mom said, be quiet. So we, we slowly start le- started learning, wow, when I'm loud, I don't get love. So we slowly start developing all sorts of masks and personas to fit in, be loved, be approved. And we, we create a mask and a persona to get love, to avoid pain, get love. It, it, we, we, we then get contorted into the shape, which I call an identity. And then we call this thing that we become, this person that we become, this identity that we've been conditioned into being me. Oh, this is who I am. And so we learn to become the nice one, the funny one, the independent one, the tough guy, the aloof one. I mean, we start developing all sorts of survival strategies to avoid pain, fit and be loved. And so to me, you know, we often think we're free, but I say we're, the degree to which we're conditioned is the degree to which we really aren't free. And we think we have free choice, but you know, it, it's really often our perception of what we want, our perception of who we think we are, our perception of our goals and what we think we want is limited to our current level of conditioning. And so many times I tell people and I tell my clients that come to my events and seminars, you might get everything you thought you wanted, but how many times have you gotten, we'll say in quotation marks, success, the car, the girl, the guy, the, 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 the material possession. How many times have you gotten what you thought you wanted and you finally attained it? And you got to the top of the mountain and said, is this all? Is this it? And it wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't really satisfying. And, you know, one of the scariest things is to get everything you thought you wanted to only realize it's not it because now you have it and it still hasn't fulfilled you. Success wasn't what you thought it was. So you might get everything you thought you wanted, 
based on who you thought you were. But if you're not in touch with who you really are, truly are, based on being wrapped up in conditioning, then what you thought you wanted is not going to be what you really want. It's only going to be what you thought you wanted based on who you thought you were, which is just a conditioned, you know, conditioned pattern. And so I think truly to live authentically is success. Truly to live authentically is to be who you are. And it's only by being who you really are can you then really discern and intuit. And 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 it's only then as you uncondition yourself from your own patterns of conditioning, can you really know and feel, okay, what are my, what are my real goals? What, what, what is it I really want? Not just what I think I want that's going to make me successful, but, but what are my real goals? And so I think from that place, if we really get in touch with who we are, peel the layers away, question ourselves, heal ourselves, transform ourselves, which is why I think we have a responsibility to evolve, to let go, to let, let go of our, our, our pain, our wounds, our hurt, so we can really connect with our truth. Then we can align with not simply what do I want. What do I want, I think, is the old paradigm of success. What do I want? Versus actually feeling beyond what do I want to what is it that is seeking life, my soul, my essence the divine, the universe, what is the universe seeking to express through me? And I think the more we are able to surrender to that flow, the flow of life, the more we will be in alignment, the more we will be in flow, the more, in quotation marks, truly successful we will become. And I look at the great ones, you know, I look at any of the great ones, uh, Mandela, I'm sure Mandela didn't want to go to prison for 27 years, but he aligned himself with his soul. He aligned himself with his deeper calling. It wasn't just what he wanted as a personality to achieve success, but it was like, what does life want through me? What is life seeking to express through me? And when he aligned himself with that, he knew it might take him on a journey. He knew it might be challenging. He knew it might lead him to some challenging situations and life lessons and, and imprisonment. But he was able to surrender to his unique path and the unique unfolding of how life was seeking to move through him. And that's when I would say he became truly successful in fulfilling his dharma, in fulfilling his soul's uh, assignment in this lifetime. And I think that's success. So for me, what I found is, you know, uh, the deeper I go, the more I surrender, uh, the, f- the freer I get, the more I surrender. The more I surrender, the freer I get. The freer I get, the less choice I have. The, 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 the less I surrender, the more choice it seems I have on the surface, but the deeper I go, the less choice I actually have because the alignment is, is just clearer of like, well, that's not really an option anymore, and doing that thing is not an option anymore, and going over there is not an option anymore. There's alignment. And so listening and living in alignment for me and, and living surrender is real success. So, so for me, the more I, the more I surrender, Melissa, the more life flows, the more, the less I of my coot self, of my separate sense of pers- personality, uh, am engaged with life, the more life flows through me. And that's where miracles happen. I look at the miracles workers like my father, you know. Uh, my father, Jesus, Buddha, the great ones, Mandela, Martin Luther King, you know, anyone who, 
who, who miracles flowed through them, they will all tell you, I didn't do this. It wasn't me. You know, it wasn't me that did this, this movement, this work. I remember having a conversation with my father who, I mean, this was a man who was a miracle worker of the highest level, you could say, and uh, kings and presidents in West Africa sought him out. And I remember, you know, actually, I had a conversation with him a few months ago, and I said, you know, Dad, how did you do these miracles? These are um, amazing miracles. You know, people would fly from around the world to be healed by you. And he looked at me and he said, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't do these miracles. I just get myself out of the way and let life flow through me. And I think that when we truly surrender to great, to life, that is when we access grace. And when we live in grace, what life is able to do through us is quantified, is, is exponential, is way more than anything we can do with our own limited pers personal power versus soul power. There's no competition. And then what unfolds through us is way beyond anything we can expect, uh, is way beyond anything we can uh, imagine. Then when we live in that flow and when we live in that grace, two, two plus two no longer equals four, and four plus four no longer equals eight. You live in that zone that Gandhi lived. You live in that zone that Mother Teresa served. You live in that zone that Martin Luther King envisioned. Then four, time, four plus four equals whatever is necessary for the fulfillment of your soul's destiny. That's when I think we can truly live a miraculous and truly successful life. To me, success isn't just about what you attain, because at the end of our lives, I, I really believe, not, look, every single one of us are going to die. Me, you, Bruce Lee, Bob Marley, Muhammad Ali, we will all die. It is guaranteed from the moment we're born. And so we take nothing with us at the end of our lives. No fame, no car, nothing. No children, no relationship, no, no shoe, no nothing. The only thing we take with us is the evolution of our consciousness and who we became in the process of life, who we became in the process and learning the lessons for which we incarnated into this human experience. And so I think the more we can surrender, the more I've surrendered, the more successful I've become in many different ways. I love that so much. One of my favorite mantras is, I surrender, I let go, and I open wide. And I literally say that to myself multiple times throughout the day. You know, if someone cuts me off at the traffic lights or there's things where I'm just like, I surrender, I let it go, I open wide. And so thank you so much for that beautiful, potent reminder. But I'd love to hear now, what is one thing that you're working on or would like to improve within yourself at the moment? Mm, nice question. That's a, that's a tough one. You know, I think for me, if I'm honest, it is allowing myself to, to receive and be supported. You know, for the longest time, I have grown up and still am, honestly. It's a blessing and a curse where I'm, uh, I'm someone that gives to people. And sometimes I just keep giving and sometimes I don't know when to stop giving and I don't know when to allow myself to receive. So for the longest time, it's been easier for me just to give 
than to receive. And so to really allow myself to be given to, to allow people to support me, to allow, you know, uh, especially friends, you know, especially those close to me. I just want to take, you know, I'm a caretaker. I just want to take care of people. So uh, one, one of my growing edges is to really uh, just say, you know what, I, I don't have to like save this person. I don't have to like be over responsible to allow myself to just think, you know what, it's okay for me to receive, you know? And what I found too in that process um, is uh, sometimes being over responsible for people and giving too much doesn't really serve them. Uh, being over responsible and giving too much it, it actually robs, has robbed people in my life from really uh, stepping up to the next level themselves has robbed them of their own growth and evolution because I was so eager to save them, to do it for them, to make it okay for them, to help them grow, to help them evolve. And sometimes what I had to realize is, you know, everyone has their own path. Everyone has their own journey. I don't always know what that person's journey should be. Maybe I might see something they don't see. Maybe I might have a higher perspective, but the fact is, they have their own journey. So I've had to really uh, trust each person's soul journey and learn to honor every single person's soul journey, even though, even though I may not agree, even though I might think I have a, a higher perspective, is to really uh, not judge and, and uh, let each person have their journey. And in doing so, allow myself to receive, allow myself to be given to, allow those around me to also uh, support me at the same time. So that, that's a continual path of growth because I love giving, you know, but sometimes I think even, even positive things in our lives can become, you could say a limitation can become an identity. And so I would ask everyone to just sit with like, what ident what identities are you stuck inside of? What identities do you hold on to cling on to that might limit you? And so one of my, you could say limiting, one of my identities has been, I'm a giver, I'm a caretaker, which, you know, on one level is phenomenal. On another level, if I hold on to it too tightly, then it can be a limitation. You know, it can be a, a real limitation. So that's something uh, I'm always having to be aware of, you know, and just just really navigate and just be conscious of. Mm, thank you for that reminder. It's really, really powerful. Now, let's pretend that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now, besides your book... Oh, you had to say that. <laughs> yes, because let's just pretend that's a given. That's already in the curriculum. What book would you choose? You've just got one that you could choose. What would it be? That is almost uh, the toughest question you've asked because I think different books have touched me at different stages of my life. For kids, if it was for kids, I would say some, a book such as The Alchemist. Because I think Paulo Coelho's The Alchemist is a real, really good book for kids that can really help kids on their journey. That's one. It was either going to be, I just have to give, I just throw out another. It was either going to be the, like The Alchemist, because I think that would be a really good book for kids and young kids uh, in school. Uh, the other book was going to be a book called The Art and the Science of Being by Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, the founder of TM. It is, it is a very, deep book on life and meditation and living in sync and living in flow. Oh, yes, I agree. A lot of people actually on the show have said The Alchemist. So if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It is a great book. So thank you for those two recommendations and we'll pop them in the show notes. So anyone that wants to go and get them, they can. And we'll also link to your books as well. I would love to hear now, what are three things that you're most recently grateful for? 
The first one is going to sound very strange. Last year, my mother passed away. I was very close to my mother. She raised me pretty much almost single-handedly because my father was gone a lot and she had cancer for a year. And so the end of 2016, I mean, for about a year, I was literally flying back and forth to London from, from the US every three weeks to be with her during her chemo treatments. And I would sit with her in chemo and for eight hours at a time. And, you know, we would just talk. I hadn't just had this amount of uninterrupted, nonstop quality, quality time with my mother since I was 10 years old. And so as strange as it sounds, this year with my mother, to look into her eyes, to connect with her, to talk to her, to get to know her, to have conversations about life with her, to hold her, to cry with her, to look into my mother's eyes when the doctor said it's only a matter of time and to thank her soul. I got to thank my mother's soul for the privilege of incarnating into this human existence as her son and to be loved by her. Because of her, I have known unconditional love. And so to share all of these simple moments with her that possibly would not have happened if she didn't have cancer, you know, intensified everything. And so as strange as it sounds, you know, my mother passed probably nine, 10 months into her journey with, the, with, with cancer. The illness gave me a profound gift with my mother. And uh, I'm so, you know, I'm so, I obviously would rather she's around in the physical and I'm deeply grateful, like truly grateful for what I shared with her. You know, my only regret, people often say, what, what do you regret in life? And people, you know, the, the correct thing to say is, I don't regret anything. But if there's one regret I have is, is uh, why did I wait? You know, why did I wait till this happened? Why did I not, you know, do it earlier? And so it's just uh, the gratitude to have this year with her and the gratitude of, 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 of just remembering and a deep realization of how short life is. This existence, this life that we have is so short. None of us know when we're going to go. Me, you, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, we all have one thing in common, and that is time. And much of our time, we're living like we have forever. Much of our time, we often waste. Much of our time, we're trading for situations that aren't aligned. And the fact is, we don't know when that moment's going to come. I'd say the people in 9-11 had no idea they weren't going to come home that night and look their loved ones in the eyes and say, I'm sorry, or I love you. And so the gratitude for that journey with my mother has been um, very, 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 very dear to my heart and special and uh, something I'm really grateful for. And I just you know, hope those listening in, if you're listening, like if you, if you have people in your life that you love. If there's people in your life that you care for, don't waste another moment. Because what if today was the last day of your life? Would you be ready? And do they know how much you love them? Because the fact is, today could be the day. And so for me, my, my motto, my, my, in, my impetus has, has really become like, what if today was the last day of my life? What if it was my last day? How would I live? How would I love? How would I serve? How would I give? And so it's inspired me to, to really live even more deeply and more fully and squeeze every, to savor every second of life. Because this thing we have, this crazy, messy, sometimes challenging human experience, as difficult as it might be with its ups and downs and imperfections, is an amazing ride.
that we have a privilege to experience, you know? And so, uh, really grateful for that. I mean, I'm, I maybe have said a few things I'm grateful for there, Melissa, but, uh, that's, that's the, honestly the biggest thing. I mean, I could go into other things like building a house in Mexico and all these things and amazing clients, but I think that really is three in one. Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for that reminder to really live each day really live each day and don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait to tell the people that you love that you love them. Tell them today. Don't wait to use the beautiful china. You know, my parents used to say that to me. Like it was always like, you know, you'd wait to use the special china for the special dinner party. Don't wait. Wait, Use the special china tonight and don't wait for the special occasion to whip out the nice shoes or, you know, to get your hair done nice or to put the lippy on. Like if that makes you feel good, do it and just do it every single day. Stop waiting because we just don't know. Like you said, we don't know how long we are here for. What we do know is that we've got a limited amount of time. And I've been really reminded of that after losing two very, very close people to me when they passed away. And that for me was like this massive slap across the face at just how short our time here on earth is and just how important it is that we soak up every moment. So don't wait, whip out the China, whip out the I love yous, you know, tell the people, get over it, let go, surrender and just enjoy every single day. So thank you. Thank you, my love, for that beautiful, potent reminder. Now, I would love to hear, I've got three little rapid fire questions for you. In your opinion, what is one of the most important things that we can do today for our health? Just one thing that people can do for our health today. Meditate. Yeah. Good one. Good one. Can't go wrong. The next one is one thing that we can do for more wealth in our life. So more abundance in all areas of our life. Focus on how you can be of radical service to those around you and add value to those around you by solving a pain, problem, or challenge that people have in your community. Focus on service. Don't focus on money. Don't focus on getting. Focus on the question, how can I be of radical service to this person? How can I be of radical service to this situation? How can I be of radical service? You focus on that mantra, the abundance and the wealth will follow naturally as a byproduct of you becoming indispensable to those around you. Mm, Yes, 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 yes. Love it. Be of service. And this doesn't mean you have to go out and write books and speak on stages. Being of service is Offering your smile to someone, asking your neighbor if they need help carrying their groceries to their house. You know, there's so many little things that we can do to be of service and it doesn't have to be or look a certain way. Just be of service to everyone in any way that feels good for for you. It doesn't have to look a certain way. So I just wanted to remind people of that. And then my last question, my little rapid fire series is, what is one thing that we can do for more love? How can we cultivate more love in our life and in the world? Realize that's your love and give it away. Many times we're trying to get love and we focus on ourselves, but realize you are love. And so give love away. And the more you give love away, the more you will, the more it will grow the more it will expand, the more it will come back to you as a byproduct of you giving love, giving love to those around you. Give 
what you want. And as you give what you want, because it's what you are, you will find it expanding, expanding, and the circle of love expanding in your life. Yep. And do you know one thing that I love about love so much? It's that it never runs out. It never runs out. It's not like you have a bucket of love and when it gets to the bottom, it runs out. Like it is infinite and you have so much to give to yourself and to those around you. So just give and give and give, be of service and give. It will never ever run out. All right, gorgeous man. I have loved this so much. I have one more question for you. Talking about service and service is something that I am super passionate about. What is one thing that I personally can do and the listeners today can do to serve you? How can we serve you today? Wow. I love these unexpected questions. You know, uh, they're beautiful. But first, I just have to say it's been, it's been an amazing joy connecting with you and feeling your love. And I feel the love of just everyone listening in already. Look, I would just love everyone to, to, you know, connect with my, connect with you, feel inspired, connect with my work, share this uh, particular interview with, with friends in your life. Shoot me an email. Let me know uh, how you've been inspired and uh, connect with my work on my website. And I can, I can give you that also if you want. Uh, but uh, I think that's one way you could surf. Just spread my work, check out my book, share it with your friends. Absolutely. And we will link to all of that in the show notes so everyone can come and check you out on social media and your book and all of your programs and products, everything. We'll link to everything in the show notes. But is there anything else that you want to say or any last words of wisdom or anything that you want to share that I may not have asked you? Mm, I think we've covered a lot. You know, I think. I would just leave everyone with a simple uh, prayer. And the prayer, for me, you talked about success. What's helped me be success? I talked about surrender. And so for me, there's a simple prayer I do that I invite everyone to really try and take on. I think the degree of your success, the, the level of freedom in your life will be in direct proportion to the level of your surrender. And so for me, the simple prayer goes something like this. Universe, I release and let go of anything that is no longer in alignment with my highest good. Universe, I release anyone that is no longer in alignment with my highest good. Universe, I surrender to the highest good in this situation. I surrender to the highest good in this relationship. I surrender to the highest good. Full stop. I would invite you all to let that be your affirmation in any situation. Ask for the highest good to be done. Sometimes we think, oh, I want this or I want that. But you know, sometimes not getting what you thought you wanted, not getting what you thought it should be, not having the relationship work out, not having the thing happen is actually the universe's love way of loving you is actually the universe's, the universe's sheer grace blessing you to not give you what you thought you wanted in this particular moment because maybe the timing wasn't right. Maybe it wasn't truly what you really wanted and it wasn't aligned. Maybe there's still some lessons you had to learn and you had to still go through an evolution to become the person to be able to fulfill the dream and the vision that you thought you wanted. And so I think that when we, when we live in a way where we're not attached to or trying to control life to be what we think we want, but we live heart wide open, spirit wide open, hands wide open, wide open and we say, universe, I'm going to give 100%. I'm going to give everything I've got to this relationship, this situation, this moment. I'm going to give everything to this moment. And I simply 
surrender to the highest good. You are invoking the highest intention, and then you can rest assured that you are tapping into that frequency and what, what ends up unfolding in your life will be what is the highest for your soul's evolution, even if you can't see it right now with your current level of thinking and mind. Mm. Oh, amen. I've got my hands in the air and I am like, yes, 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 yes. So much yes. Thank you so much, Coot. You are such a beautiful human being and I just absolutely have loved this conversation so much and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for not only being incredibly present and giving and willing on this episode, but just all the work that you're doing in the world. And it's very interesting, you know, doing these episodes, as you know, I jump on Skype before we hit record because I love to see who I'm interviewing and I love to connect in that way before we press record. And it's very interesting to get to see some people and sometimes there's technical difficulties like there was with us today and it took us a little while but you held yourself with such grace and you know there's other people that I have interviewed who have lost it and these are spiritual teachers and they've lost it and they're you know they're getting all riled up and you know you really are the embodiment of what you talk about and that was the point of me telling that story is like you really are the embodiment you are such a beautiful big giant teddy bear and I just love you and adore you so so much and I'm and I'm so grateful that we got this conversation so thank you so much from the bottom of my heart much love such a pleasure and honor to to hang with you can't wait to give you a big hug in person soon whoa 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 I loved that conversation so much. I just wanted it to keep going and going and going. I just wanted to invite him over and have dinner with me so I could sit and just continue to keep talking to him. I got so much out of today's episode. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire even more people together. And don't forget to tell me on social media, either on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, who you would like me to have on the show. And for everything that Coot and I mentioned in today's episode, you can get in the show notes. And that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 89. And you can listen to all my other episodes there too. Also, just a reminder that you can now order my second book, Open Wide, a radically real guide to deep love, rocking relationships and soulful sex. All you have to do is head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy today. And if you haven't been there yet, please go over because Nick and I created a free video masterclass for you. So head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get access to this free video masterclass. It is so epic. You guys are going to love it. And if you want to be the review of the week next week, all you have to do is leave me a five-star review in iTunes. And before I go, thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best version of yourself possible, and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there is someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, 
please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you have got to do to get this into their ears. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.